0: hey everybody welcome once again to rise of the gm it's episode number two we're going to be talking today about uh, a power vacuum encounter we're going to be talking about a bitter artist NPC, but we're also going to be talking about how matthew got his start and what kinds of games he runs here on rise of the gm thanks for joining us here again with uh, Adam today. Adam, good to see you. How are you today?
1: Doing okay. How about you?
0: All is well. All Great. is well. We are, by the way, audience, we are uh, trying to get our audio stuff figured out. So if anything sounds weird, like if I'm way too loud, cause right now in my headphones, I sound pretty loud. You know, let us know in the comments, Hey, Matthew seemed kind of loud. Uh, last week we felt like Adam was kind of loud. We tried to tone that down. Hopefully we didn't go too far. Uh, so, uh, let us know if, uh, if you hear anything that could be changed. But today uh, we're excited because we got uh, another encounter starter for you. We're going to touch on in a moment. We got uh, an NPC that, that you can maybe throw into your game, but we're also going to do a little talking about how I got my start. Uh, and so... Um, I don't think there's anything before. Let's just jump into this thing, encounter starter. You know, usually uh, I'm used to doing, I also do a football podcast. If any of you are football fans, you can check out the football pandemic And I usually start with news. And maybe that's something we're going to have to look at what kind of RPG news is going on in the world. Because it's always a good, nice way to start. Uh, but we're going to start today with a, a, an encounter starter. Uh, again, we like to kind of throw, we have this book uh, that we're kind of working through here called Eureka. Um, and it's a uh, 501 different kind of encounter starters uh, to inspire your games. And uh, this is by Gnome Stew. They do uh, a podcast called Gnome Cast. Check them out if you, if you haven't. Uh, but we like to kind of throw this out and then talk about how we would use this little encounter starter, just so that you guys as GMs who are starting uh, can start to say, okay, if I read something, How would I, how, how do these guys do it? And then how would, how does that translate to me throwing something like that in a game and getting it so that it fits? So uh, we'll start here. I'm just going to kind of read slash summarize this and then we'll talk about it. Okay. So uh, this one is uh, called power vacuum and uh, you have these heroes who are in some remote town and uh, uh, there's a threat there's monsters or uh, bandits or something that comes up against this town and our pcs fight them off okay so that's that just happened and maybe you would uh, kind of find a town you're already in that had a threat and you would then drop this kind of scenario into that town so your pcs just beat something and then they depart okay so you know how pcs are always like taking off and traveling as they travel that's where you put this in. Uh, they're traveling and they meet a man on the road who's heading to the little town or city or village or whatever that they just left, that they just uh, defeated this um uh, threat, and as they do, they meet this man, and uh, they strike up a conversation while they're camping beside the road or uh, just, just walking on the road, and they stop to talk, and uh, they find out that this guy's a mercenary who heard there was trouble in this town, so whatever it was that you guys just defeated, he he had heard about that somehow, and he was coming to see if he could help. You guys, you know, assure him that's taken care of. We took care of it, uh, but hey, it was, you know, It's a nice little town, you can go check it out. So uh, the PCs go on, he goes on in the town. And then uh, weeks later, after completing whatever it is they went went to do, uh, they're coming back by way of this town. Uh, And that's always a fun thing to stop and revisit places that you've been because, uh, then there gets to be a little bit of history in the story. So they're, they're coming back after this. And as they get near this town, uh, they're confronted by a group of people who demand that they pay tribute, uh, that there is a, a highway tax now imposed by the warlord of the area. And you guys are, uh, your PCs are like, what warlord are you talking about? Come to find out that this warlord is the mercenary who was going into that town. That, uh, when, uh, he went into the town before the before the heroes even get to come and confront this guy they find out that there was uh this threat that they vanquished was really only uh like the advanced guard of some greater threat uh or a further threat from these monsters or from these bandits or whatever and that uh this mercenary went in and kind of for the protection of the town uh they turned to him and he set things up and got it so that they were protected. But when he did, he kind of began to take over the town. And uh, uh, as you guys encounter him, he thanks you guys for creating this situation where he became this warlord. And uh, as you uh, observe him, you find out that he kind of rules with a heavy hand. He's uh, filling his own coffers, you know, taking skimming off the top uh, and generally making uh, the town suffer under his rule. The town you can see is dying under his Uh, hand. And so the heroes have to decide how they're going to deal with this warlord and deliver this town that basically got him because of something they did, right? So they They kind of just beat the first one they told this guy where it was and now indirectly he's kind of ruining this city so uh there that decision comes up but before you get a chance to like make that decision uh there's another onslaught from whatever this threat is whatever these monsters are and uh it's probably one uh as a gm that you make that's a little too tough for your your characters to handle on their own and so now they have this uh decision uh do they work with this guy and then if they do work with this guy, what's the aftermath of that look like? Um, and so so this all becomes part of the decision um, process. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's really good, uh, one, to create some continuity, uh, to give some history, and it, it creates this sense of cause and effect for your players that the things they do in the world uh, matter and make a difference. And then they have to make a decision on this. Uh, and so it's important to make uh, the, the first conversation with that mercenary memorable. You want to give him good character uh, so that they immediately upon coming back, they know uh, who this guy is and what's going on. So uh, that's the, the basic gist of it. Okay. There's a lot you can add to that, that you can flesh out to that uh, what kinds of things would you start to do, uh, Adam, you're in a campaign, you're, you're kind of like wanting to make sure you have an encounter idea. You, yeah. you were just fighting some monsters and then you read this you're like, Oh, that's a good idea because I know they're going to move on, but this will give them something to come back to. That might be really interesting. What would you do?
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, I love just the setup of that, like this idea of you know being a you're passing through this thing there's something that's happened um you've taken care of you know the threat like it said and then moved on and being able like you said to come back to a place that maybe you have built some relationships like there are other npcs there you know uh you've done things there you've experienced places and and all of this and to be able to come back to like a change like this i think is is interesting um i look at the 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 mercenary or the warlord um and i would i would really want to lean heavily into um like ways for them not to like immediately go like murder hobo and we're just going to kill this this person and like mm-hmm. you know like you, you obviously if that's the way they go again that's the way players can go and that was a story <laughs> but um i, I do think there, there's something about like okay we're not going to immediately try to fix this with just going in and murdering this person who does have strong people around them as well. Um, But even, you know, in that like initial uh, conversation, like you said, meet them around the campfire on the road, uh, maybe share a camp for the night or um, those kind of things, even being like a, A budding friendship you know kind of happened there where there was some mutual respect between the groups so that when they come into this place and realize hey this is a person well that we know um, there can be some kind of conversation at least like well let's approach this person and see and like it said in in that prompt you know it's like the the warlord is thankful to the pcs uh like consequences that's that's a really A really great thing to consider anytime we're doing anything is, you know, um, I think about, you know, we brought up the campaign that we're in in the middle of now. It's like there are choices you make if you choose to not do something and walk away and go do something else, then for that to continue moving forward, um, not just come to a standstill because the PCs didn't interact with it. Um, that's more like video game stuff you know where it's like oh here's two missions you took one you can come back to this one later it's still going to be there Um, i think it's really important in this kind of case that that like the world moves forward if they're not engaged even if they're not engaging with it, kind of thing so um i feel like i went off on a tangent there (laughs) didn't even answer your question but those are the things i'm like thinking of with those
0: right and i think You know, you you obviously had just set up some sort of encounter where there's some monsters of some sort or bandits or whatever it is. And I like the idea that you like defeat them and you think, okay, we did this for you. Uh, the town, you know, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> We're moving on sort of thing. Uh, but then you got to think about when they come back, how's it going to be like greater? Because uh, there is this sense that Uh, oh, this was not the main force. This was the small. And this now looks like something that might be too much for us to handle without this guy. I like that dynamic. Uh, But then you have to think, okay, how am I going to take those monsters that we fought before and make it harder? Uh, Is that bigger? Is it more? Is it them combined with? Uh, And so it gives you a a chance to kind of think in that direction as you're thinking about your monsters. Uh, But then also uh, it's doubtful that he has had the success he's had just because he's one mercenary. So you have to start thinking, okay, who are his allies now? Did he come in and like organize people in the town that you dismissed or just said, hey, we'll take care of this, who may have uh, regretted you kind of taking all the glory? Who are these people now that keep him ruling with an iron hand? Because you don't do that by yourself. If people are getting tired of it and you're just one guy, you're not going to last long. Somebody's going to slip a dagger in your ribs and you're done. (laughs) Uh, But he's evidently set up some sort of structure. Did he do that within the town or did he call in some of his, uh, friends, uh, right. you know, some other mercenaries, uh, you know, how did this come to this situation? And so, uh, and I like, like you said, that idea that, and I've said it before, I don't think it's ever great to make like uh, and some, I've seen people do this where it's like all the baddies are bad. You know, it's obvious. This is a bad guy. And, you know, your, your PC characters pick up really quick when you just haven't fleshed out much beyond they're right. bad. And they're an <laughs> obstacle. They want to kill them right away. Yeah. But when you, like, begin to play on those, uh, tug on those strings of, like, this is something you liked about that guy. Uh, maybe when you were talking to him, something happens and, and you kind of respect something from his past. And when you meet him in town, he's like super gregarious. And like, uh, again, it says he's thankful and maybe he invites you in. And uh, at first it almost seems like everything's okay. But then you start to get these sidelong glances from people in the town and you begin mm-hmm. to see the places where he's got corruption. But at the same time, he's being you know, nice and talking about how he's protecting this town because he cares about it. And so it becomes a harder decision than just like, well, he's the bad guy. Let's get it. And then of course you have to decide, are we going to join with him uh, for this battle and then turn on him? What's that say about us? Or are we going to like try and take these guys by ourselves uh, and him at the same time? Can we even do that? Uh, I think setting up those sorts of things make it really, really interesting and fun. And uh, so one of the things I like to do, Uh, with any campaign I'm in, uh, and this will probably come up again and again, uh, I do the what ifs uh, in my journal. I journal a lot. I write, and this is the way I come up with ideas. I'm like, what if this guy ends up being you know so and so's brother okay that's a dumb idea scratch what (laughs) if this guy ends up or you know maybe i think i write that and i'm like oh whoa that's a great thing what if he did end up being somebody's brother and then i let my mind run or what if this guy ends up um saying oh okay you don't want me here you guys handle this yourself and he refuses to fight Mm -hmm. and uh what if you lose somebody because of that? Or, you know, I try to think through some creative things that would really make this story more interesting. And yeah. uh, I would encourage as a GM, uh, don't just decide this is what I'm going to do like right away. Sit down and take a moment. You know, you take a, an encounter like this and do your what ifs. Just write a bunch of questions. What if this happened? What if this? Or what if this, you know, townsperson is the one who uh, really turns out to be against you because of what you did earlier and he's the one who propped this guy up and yeah. yeah. And what if, and, and, and let that go into the rest of your campaign. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I really like the tie in of like NPCs that you have dealt with prior that you're bringing up with that. Cause you know, like you said, this guy alone likely isn't going to just overrun a village or a town it's there are these people around them and being able to bring in i think that does like populate things more and remind people more of you know this pc was kind of a jerk to this person and now they're the right hand you know man of of the mercenary or um or on the flip side it's like maybe people that you've engaged with and uh i don't know the shopkeeper that you've done a bunch of uh, buying and selling with who is friendly and, or, you know, this person that you saved from the threat earlier, who you had a meal with their family, you know, after that happened, those people even being like, you know, you like kind of lay in the guilt trip in some ways, but like you, you left us to this, you, like, if you would have been here, you know, th- those kind of things, I think you can even um, push the emotion a little bit with some of those conversations. Um, and again, that's, making more depth to the 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 village the town just the world for people um that it's not just a bunch of static people standing there waiting until you approach them you know kind of thing so uh, i really like you know i I like this idea but i really like what it what it means as far as just the continuity of a game you know being a, a thing that you you see a little bit better with
0: it, so. One thing I'll say too, as we talk about all these encounter starters, these ideas that you, when you're kinda like, oh, where am I going? So generally, when you sit down as a GM, you have some sort of vague, it may not be totally fleshed out, vague idea of the overall arc of the campaign, right? You know who, uh, you you know what the kinda end is going to look like, or I would hope, um, not everybody does this, but uh, it's a good idea to have an idea when all this is wrapped up and said and done, yeah. what is the thing that's going to make them feel like they accomplished the goal? Cause, uh, at least for me, when I'm doing the Epic stuff, that's always going to be in my mind. Again, it doesn't have to, right. I know people who do campaigns where it's just like string of pearls, you know, it's like, here's an encounter. And then here's another encounter, the same size and they get a little stronger, but it's just uh, still the same kind of encounter. And you're just going to do that until we get tired of playing this game. Okay. That might be something you do, but if you have this idea, this arc, uh, a good idea when you're getting all these little encounters is to one, be careful not to make too many threads okay too many loose ends that at the end yeah. you can't figure out how to tie them all up because you've made like so many different bad guys and you can't figure out how it all fits together yeah. uh, but two and kind of in keeping with that think about this in terms of your overall goal uh, let's say your overall goal is the you know the king is trying to i don't know uh <laughs> steal power from his son who was going to marry another kingdom uh but the only way he could think to do it was uh i'm like running because i'm making (laughs) stuff up here as i go Uh, but it had something to do with his son and his other son who was illegitimate that he wanted in his place okay Mm -hmm. let's say that that's the way you know it's good there's that's the end Mm -hmm. as you read this one you might think okay what if you know I'm i'm a big fan of the what if what if this mercenary was the king's illegitimate son that is out right now nobody knows and they're gonna have to face him again later maybe right. i don't want him to like have a confrontation where they kill him right now mm-hmm. uh you know he a- acquiesces at the end and like says i'll leave or whatever but there's bad blood between him or whatever how can you work this into the final story um, right. and so to sit down and think about, like, I know what I want my final and some of the characters to be, this guy is an unnamed guy. Could he be any of those people and like really begin to develop? Cause it gives him more history and more substance when you've had different kinds of encounters with him throughout. So just yeah. a, a little thing I would do again, mm-hmm. if I were just dropping this into my campaign, I would think, how does it fit the overall
1: campaign? For sure. Yeah. I, uh, um, I think it's, yeah, that's really good. The not having too many threads is really important. And I, I've definitely fallen into that at times where it's like, there's so we'll many, and, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it, because it's interesting, you know, um, I do think sometimes like it's fine for some things to just never have an answer, you know, that yep. that's as long as they're not too big, I think that can be unfulfilling, but, um, but the the i'd rather have things not get wrapped than do what i have done um thinking like early games where it's like everything has to come to this point at the end and it's like well that these things are kind of being strong-armed into a mold where they could have just been left (laughs) alone um,
0: about that the cool thing about leaving some things, uh, so uh, I've, I've met a guy recently who has, he is like a master at this. He has multiple campaigns and he ties them together. And uh, so it's cool, like his character from one game, you know, that he played earlier has interacted with this character. and uh, So like you leave something untied, that can be the basis for a whole nother campaign that takes yeah. off or like visit in another campaign just to, for all your players to be like, Oh my goodness. That was so-and-so we saw him back in, you know, that's kind of fun too.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, that's cool. I, I've been thinking about this, this thing kind of in the midst of that, of like, uh, this warlord and I, 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 so I just finished, um, for like the umpteenth time Lord of the Rings reading it with the kids. (laughs) And it's like a yearly you know read that's who i am but uh that's who he that's is that's who i, I really <laughs> is um but there's a hopefully this isn't spoiler for it's like been that many years if you don't really <laughs> of the rings by now you're okay to be spoiled uh, i'm just yeah, going to say it it's, you know been what 40 years more than that but um uh where am i going oh it's um at the end you know there's um the shire has been kind of ravaged by evil also um, of a lesser but still horrible sort and um, there's this this moment where um, they're kind of working their way to the center back to the start um, at back end and um, they're going to confront you know the kind of person who's been in charge and they find out that that person actually has been kind of supplanted by a person who's really in charge and who's been pulling the strings the whole time. But then even when that's kind of dealt with, there's a situation of, but there's still like this person's followers out in the region that have like little, um, kind of their own little posses of people that have banded together and are still causing problems and stuff. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a long winded way of saying this, but I think even this opens up a longer, thread of you know maybe um maybe the pcs do have a call to action of we're not just going to deal with this big threat that's been constantly uh, coming after this this village we're not just going to deal with this warlord but there's some like ramifications of it even in the country surrounding this that we have to deal with if we're going to leave these people um in a good place you know kind of thing so i think there's lots of You know, it's either, you can kind of end it there. Um, Any of these, I'm sure you can do that with, but this one feels like it has more breadth to it as far as being able to even spin some things out of it. And so I appreciate that about this prompt. I I think it's good and um, have enjoyed looking at this one.
0: Very good. Well, we hope this one helps you guys. Uh, And if not this one, again, there's a book of 501 of these. Find that book, Eureka, and read through some of them.
1: Yeah, so um kind of shifting gears a little bit uh from the encounter um this like kind of main topic of today that you know I I wanted to to talk through a little bit is just like looking at Matthew's background. Um I'm going to I'm going to talk about my background next week. Um we want you know you guys you all to just kind of get to know us and kind of where we're coming from as far as um, our game history we talked a little bit last week you know into that but it was pretty abbreviated um so just taking a few you know this this one to talk about matthew's background next week to talk about mine um to just kind of see where we've kind of come from as we've led up to this point um so you know matthew is uh, i kind of just want to open it up to you to do that i may have some like leading questions um okay. but you talked last week about, you know, like you and your friend Pat would talk about these characters and I don't want to step on that, but were there any like interactions with gaming, with tabletop gaming prior to even that moment for you? Or like, what was the first kind of touch point you had with uh, D and D or like other role-playing games?
0: I'd I'd have to say it was my friend Pat Uh, before that. So uh, when I was young, I, I, I picked up, um i forget what the very first series was i think it was piers anthony uh the blue adept series (laughs) and uh i really found like that that's kind of a sci-fi fantasy mix but anyway uh i got really into like reading uh and it wasn't until i met pat that there was this idea that you could kind of create your own characters and it was kind of like that beginning to write your own story which is what so many gamers i think do they love the idea of creating a story uh, together and so we would sit and write characters and often it was you know we just had like the the player's handbook Mm -hmm. and uh you know we had the list of these uh, i think this was 2.0 okay (laughs) i Uh, I can't even remember but uh, it had a list of you know classes and races and so for us it was just fun to imagine okay what if i was this race in this class and then we think about like the books that we read where there was like a hero and what would we want that to look like and so i got really and he really got into writing these back stories and then never playing the characters and i said that last week uh but then at some point uh, a guy came along i went to purdue university and this was uh in my college days a guy came along who said hey you guys want to try play D and uh First of all, I didn't know anybody had ever played this. I'm like, oh, I guess so, yeah. I, I make these characters, and so we went. And of course, I went with. Uh, I played a lot of different musical instruments. Played, uh, you know, in, in some bands, whatever. Who hasn't? Uh, but uh, of course, I picked a bard because I thought, you know, guys who do music are cool, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, the very first time I ever played D and D. Whatever it was, 2.0, I think. I went as a bard and I came, remember, it's probably an elf, bard elf, because. I thought that was cool and here's what happened we went and our first encounter was we fought this bush okay there was a a living bush that would smack you with it I don't even remember why we were riding on the road I'm playing my pan flute and of course being the guy I am I actually had a pan flute a little flute at the table that I annoyed everybody to death with by playing it and uh, we came on this first fight it was supposed to be an easy one but of course you start level one at like five or six hit points you just don't have much and uh you think in your mind you've been writing these backstories about like i'm so awesome and so you get this feeling that it's going to be like that and so i went up against this bush i got knocked off of my horse it did damage and when i fell it did damage and i was killed (laughs) My first encounter by a bush um and uh i don't remember but i think everybody at the table was killed (laughs) (laughs) Total party kill. Okay, That could have something to do with being the GM. The guy who was doing it had not run a lot of games. And so he ran this game and uh, uh, maybe that bush was a little more powerful than he expected (laughs) or something. And I just remember leaving that game thinking, D is not that fun. (laughs) I thought I had this great character and I get killed by a bush. That's stupid. And so then I didn't play again. he never ran another game. None of us knew anything about GMing. We just we just didn't have any experience with it. And uh, so nothing happened until I got out of my bachelor's degree, out of my master's degree. I taught at Purdue for eight years and I did other stuff. And then I finally ended up moving over to Illinois. And that's when Adam, uh, our great co-host here said, hey, uh, me and some guys get together uh, and play a game every week, you wanna come? I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) You didn't really make it clear when you asked me. I forgot that. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And so we went over uh, to this guy, Danny Brown's house, and they're playing something called warriors of virtue and i know adam can tell you more about this next week when he talks about kind of his background i had never heard of this and there's a good reason and that's because it didn't really exist except in (laughs) these guys minds Uh, but like danny and eric and um one of the uh
1: i forget who the other guy was Uh, Uh, zach played for a while too zach and uh
0: tolbert wasn't there uh anyway so uh There were some guys who wanted to play D&D, but their parents, being good Christian parents, had watched Monsters and Mazes or something like that, and they thought, (laughs) you know what, this is kind of a Satan, and it's going to cause our kids to like, uh, you know, be suicidal and dangerous or whatever, get into the occult. They didn't want them playing D&D, and so these boys, slick as they are, slick as they were, uh, decided they were going to make their own role-playing game called Warriors of Virtue, because that sounds very good, right? That sounds very uh virtuous in the name (laughs) warriors of virtue and all they did was they just stole everything from (laughs) (laughs) D&D. all the races and classes pretty much were the same Um, they might have put in something i think there was a dragoon or something in there all right that was a guy who threw, threw that's what i was when i first played uh and uh you would, they they actually printed up their own books. I, they had these huge thick books bound, um, you know, pr- at a printer, local printer, they printed them off. Uh, and uh, when you actually began to read it, I, I was like, oh, this is all new and I was reading it. And then I started like really noticing some similarities, you know, the Horseshoes of the Zephyr. <laughs> like that was in the D&D. And then you, you, you realize that these boys basically just took everything tweaked it just a little bit reflavored it gave it a different name and then put it in their book and so it was really kind of like D, &D. but uh that's what i started off uh i started off as i think a dragoon um which what is a dragoon again adam
1: uh in that game it's a they throw things uh i don't know the history of that but um that was was how it worked for that yeah you throw daggers throw axes throw whatever i was throwing
0: shuriken and, That's right. Uh, yeah. we all know sure it can do a ton of damage, right? But <laughs> I started off with that as my theme and I was this guy who, you know, had been in a circus and I had this big, you know, horse tattoo going up my neck or something and my name was La Muerte, the death. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting... You know more and more powerful with these shuriken and they really did get powerful by the end of it i was like throwing these shuriken and doing amazing damage with each one and i'm like whoosh, 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 whoosh. At, which is a which is uh satisfying mm-hmm. uh, but that was my first experience and uh, again like i said last week i in my mind i had this vision of what a true D person a guy who played role-playing games was kind of anti-social didn't really fit in not somebody you would like hang out with a lot but then i liked all these guys and they weren't weren't like that and they were, you know, okay, so uh the uniqueness uh I think probably I think that stereotype is way overdone. I think most people I've met who have played DD have been pretty interesting and creative people. Um and no, it's not all that. Um, you know, we all have had the experience where you walk into a game store and the smell of body odor is strong, <laughs> and there's people sitting there playing games, and that doesn't mean that everybody plays in a game store is that. Uh, but I think that lends to that stereotype. Fortunately for me, uh, none of these guys seem to be that uh, to me. Uh, they all seem to be people who could function in normal society and people wouldn't look sideways. As a matter of fact, people kind of look sideways when they first hear you play an RPG or D&D. If you say D&D rather than RPG, uh, that always makes people stop and look at you, although it's gotten more acceptable, mm. yeah. I think, uh, in recent years. So I started with, uh, we were playing Warriors of Virtue, and uh, we w- we ended up moving that to my house. Um, I was a single guy at the time. And we would come over on Thursday nights and start around 5, I think. Maybe even four sometimes, and we would play till five in the morning. And um, when that started getting light outside and the birds started chirping, we would get so angry at those birds because we knew <laughs> that the next day was trash for us. We were just gonna be so tired, and yet we did it every week. Yep. And it was a good time. And we did that for a while. And then we had a friend come in and said, "Hey guys, I think this was Barry Hudak. He came in. and He said, hey if you guys ever played D and D, and we're all like warriors of virtue, man, warriors of virtue.'" <laughs> virtue. But uh he brought D&D and uh we gave it a shot. I think that was 3.5 when we started that. And uh, uh there were more books and more stuff and you know I know that uh, D&D went through some iterations, 3.5 to Pathfinder to 4.0 to 5.0 which is where it's at now. Uh and at 4.0 I feel, this is my personal opinion, I feel like it got stupid because they tried to simplify it too much and all the characters ended up feeling the same. Everybody had this same thing that would give them plus two or this thing that would give minus two. And everything was plus two and minus two and it was stupid. (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. If you love 4.0, I'm sorry. Uh, 5.0, they did better, but they they went in the direction of making it easier for people uh, by taking away some of like the massive, massive just amounts of stuff you could do. I like that massive amount of customization <laughs> that you could really kind of hone in on a character and hone in on stuff. And, uh, Pathfinder is kind of the sweet spot for me. So, uh, at some point it came to a place where I decided to run a game and I ran 3.5 first, I did, uh, my first big campaign it's called Oracle of order. And it was about, uh, this huge prophecy that ended up kind of inside the mind of a mad emperor or king i can't even remember what his title was but uh and it was the his right hand man the the wizard who had kind of set everything up and you were in his mind fighting you know at the end and it was crazy yeah. uh, that one i think i ran 3.5 and that was a, a fun a fun, long campaign. I think it was like a year long and we got almost the 20th, if not to 20th level. I don't remember. Do you remember where you were when we started? I think we
1: were 20 by the end of that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I kind of decided that's what I wanted to do. And I'm going to tell you something about me. And this is something as you guys are thinking about how you're going to GM, again, you get to be the GM. And for me, the most important thing was a good story and a good time and memorable moments. I wanted the guys at the table to be laughing sometimes. I wanted them to like... Remember this fight and that and how I was so amazing and oh, how I got knocked down and almost died that time. Uh, and so less for me, was it about the strict rules? That sounds kind of, <laughs> kind of bad. I, well, I'll talk, I'll clarify that more. Uh, I would be what you call high high fantasy player high magic uh high no not magic high i gave lots of stuff uh, so <laughs> by the time they were at the end they had you know relics and they were you know extra feats and they were just like really powerful people but that's what it is you know you want to play you want to feel like you're something you don't want to feel like that bard getting killed by a bush the whole <laughs> time you play and so maybe that's what colored the way igm I got killed by a bush in my first experience. And I'm like, never again. Never will my camp <laughs> be killed by a bush because there'll be gods among men. Mm-hmm. But uh, so uh, we went. I decided I wanted to go to 20th level. And I, of course, I let them have lots of stuff. But I felt free to scale up my monsters. You know, just, just because they were at 13th level didn't mean I had to make my CRs 13th level mm-hmm. because I made them so powerful these monsters would be even more powerful. And it was a good time. Yeah. Did that. Then we went to... Pathfinder. And I don't remember exactly what caused that shift. Right. I think it was because Pathfinder had the uh, SRD online, the PF SRD. Everything was free. Yeah. <laughs> free yeah. matters. Uh, a college student or shortly out of college and you just don't have a lot of money you can't be buying all those big books that cost 30 dollars a piece my goodness and then just more and more you know wizards of the coast at that time were just printing so many books and so uh, i think that's why we went to pathfinder and i ran um the the rest of the campaigns i actually still run pathfinder so we're going to find on this podcast that there are a lot of different types of games out there Adam has played more. Um, I, I recently uh, met a guy named Royal who has played even more uh, than I think either of us have ever played. All these different kinds of systems. Uh, we had a friend named Evan who constantly was introducing us to new game systems and new games. And it was really cool. Uh, but mostly for me, it's been Pathfinder, D&D, based stuff now i've gotten a little bit into playing some of the other systems but for what i've run it's been the fantasy aspect and it's been pathfinder so i ran one called uh, blood of kings and it was kind of set on this world that had nine moons and these permanent gates set up that you go to the moons and the cool thing about that was it gave me the opportunity to really have some unique um environments because these moons just all had different Aspects about them that were different than the world. And uh, so that was really cool. I didn't get to go very far in that one and it ended. And now I'm doing one called The Dormant Mind and that one's ongoing. <laughs> it's ongoing like in its fourth or fifth year, but that doesn't yeah. mean that I've been running it continuously that whole time. We take breaks like I talked about last week. So uh, that is also Pathfinder. And again, I'm that guy who liberally gives powerful things to people and I search for ways to kind of showcase my different players that's like my favorite thing is to like make it enjoyable for people because it's great stories and uh, i want everybody to feel that i don't want anybody to feel like they're the bard getting killed by the bush (laughs) and it's hard sometimes because you get a you get a group i think in this dormant mind when we started uh, we have a a player called kairos who was our healer but i always was trying to like find ways to help him be stronger because Like, we'd get in the battle, and, uh, you know, we have a a guy named Nightclaw in there who is, like, just powerful. And he would, like, hit people and, like, damage like crazy. And then Kairos would go up to hit, and he would miss. Uh, And if he did hit, it'd be, like, two damage, you know. And he just wasn't powerful. Of course, he's a healer. Um, And so I was constantly trying to find ways to... like work into the story ways for him to get stronger to to be part of that party because you don't want a party so imbalanced that this guy will kill everybody with one hit and this guy will be killed by anybody who touches him you know he's the bard with the bush and so uh he wasn't a bard he was a healer Uh, but the nice thing was they all like found roles and it's that balance of keeping everybody like strong in an area they don't all have to be like fighters like i don't think kairos is ever going to be well I take that back, you know, he was a healer. And so if he was against undead, he could do some massive damage against undead. And he, of course, did some pretty epic scenes with uh, some dust of dryness and stuff. Like that. But uh, All that to suffice to say, I really enjoy uh, that aspect. And if you're a GM, you know, you have to think about what it is that you derive enjoyment from. And for me, it is showcasing people and telling good stories mm-hmm. and making everybody feel epic at times and then at times everybody fear for their life <laughs> that's also part of my joy make you fear for your life uh, but yeah so uh, I think that kind of uh, is the path that I've taken as far as going through my gaming process I don't know are there any questions Adam that you could ask that maybe our viewers would ask me if they were here in this hmm.
1: yeah uh one of the ones that Kind of came to my mind kind of pulling back to you as a player um do you have uh themes or oh, yeah. uh, maybe classes or those kind of things that you tend to uh like lean into more i i know for me i have a lot of common tropes that s- seem to happen regardless of who i play so do you have any of that kind of a thing
0: yeah and this is something to pay attention to as a player, if you're a player watching this or as a GM, as you have your players in there to know the kinds of things that you love and to realize that that's not everybody, everybody is not going to love what you love. And that's important as a GM <laughs> that you're not trying to kind of force your players into your role, yeah. my role, uh, it's easy. I want guys who move a lot. So I would have characters that could either teleport a lot or they had like great fly speeds or, you know, whatever it was they could be all over the board and they they had some pretty powerful hits now they weren't they're not the most you know tanks they're not going to be able to absorb tons of damage but they're so um they're so mobile that they might not ever hardly get hit you know that's the guy i play they're also not the most powerful wizards but they might know a little bit you know they might have like one or two spells they use maybe um so yeah i've i've played like uh I can't even think of what these things were. What was the guy with the fairies? Uh, he was a, a warlock. A warlock, yeah. So he had a, a little bit of magic, you know, pretty, pretty uh, small spectrum, but used it a lot, and it was powerful, you know, the hits he did. Um, I uh, rogues, um, yeah, the, uh, any kind of striker. That's been me. I'm not the I'm not the super powerful wizard. I'm not the tank. I'm not the healer that would bore me to death. Uh, Some guys love it. And that's the thing I have to keep in mind as a GM, somebody who, uh, Evan, one of our guys that we play with often, he was constantly a character that was helping other people. He would, his whole thing was, how can I buff you and get this situation good? So he would control the battleground and buff people. And that was really great for all of us. And he enjoyed it. Uh, that would be hard for me as a player to to have that as my role all the time um, and so it's always interesting for me to take a moment and think my players what is it that makes them tick yeah. because you remember when i said i was trying to make our healer like more powerful that wasn't what he was after mm-hmm. and i had to realize that what he was after was different than what nightclaw was after than what ragnar was after what you know the uh, all of our different players play differently now adam's characters and you'll learn about him next week so i won't get into that too much but (laughs) i feel like his are more varied uh and he may not agree with that but like uh, mine are pretty mine are pretty much in the mold of mobile heavy strike and that's about it by the way i don't think i'm alone in saying charisma is always my dumps dad i never have i played a character who is like the talker the one who's going to like persuade people and and the problem is i'm a natural talker myself so it's hard not to do that in the game you know like i come in and i'm like want to control the talking and the situation and persuade people but then i'm like oh yeah my charisma is like negative two <laughs> and so i look like some sort of you know weird person that nobody wants to be around and i don't know how to talk to people and i gotta play that so uh yep. charisma is always my dump stat my good stats are almost always uh decks and intelligence i don't usually go for the strength guy i don't go for the constitution guy i don't go for the wisdom guy except for when i'm playing a monk which are also pretty awesome by the way mm. um yeah so that's kind of my typical yeah. characters i don't know if that's what you were asking but that's for sure yeah. <laughs> that's me
1: yeah that's, that was great um yeah uh I think, uh, I wonder if we can look back at your death as a bard by the hands of a bush leading to dump statting charisma. (laughs) Dump statting charisma,
0: never playing a bard again again. ever. Yeah I think next. so much can be said for the first time you play <laughs> yeah. uh, and how that and and truthfully I I when when a player the first time they play loves their character it's really hard for them to decide to go to another character and then ever feel like that character measures up to their first character right. and maybe as a yeah. players out there watching this you can relate to that you know man that character i played first was awesome or yeah. in my case the bard i'll never play that <laughs> character again <laughs> Yeah
1: that's awesome. Yeah. yeah well, I, I know we're gonna, you know, this kind of stuff's gonna come out as we talk um over the course of this podcast. And um, but I wanted to kind of, you know, really kick that off with just letting people know a little bit from our backstory. So yeah, appreciate you. I think sharing. it's good for you guys
0: to know yeah. us. And I'm excited for you next week to get to know Adam because he's done this more than me and he's had more varied experience. He was my introduction into the real RPG, not the bard getting killed by the bush. Where the guy didn't know what he was doing as a GM. And that's why it's important to know what you're doing as a GM. It's important to kind of understand it's not about winning yourself. I think that's where our GM at that time failed. Uh, he wanted to be powerful and so he killed the whole party with a bush and then we hated it for years and it wasn't until later that I got back into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, let's uh, let's go ahead to our, every week, we like to do a thing where we, you know, sometimes you're in a game and you, you just need a character. And so there's this book, uh, again, by Gnome Stew or Gnome Cast, uh, they have them, both of those names, called Masks. And it's a 1,000 different NPCs, and they just give you like a quick synopsis, a little bit about them. I'm going to have Adam kind of share one with us, and then we'll talk about what we might do with a character like that in a game we would
1: play. Yeah. Um, So this is uh, Ursula Batal, titled The Bitter Sculptor. Uh, I'm going to save the the line here, but um, the appearance. um, She wears a simple tunic stained from working with clay. She's utterly ordinary in physique and facial features and is neither ugly nor pretty. She always carries a small amount of clay to work with. As far as the role playing, they suggest that she tends to avoid eye contact and mutters to herself her hands are always busy molding a small piece of clay into various shapes. She will occasionally fail, fall into fits of rage, which, while rare, are frightening and explosive. Um, her personality, Ursula, is forever frustrated by her lack of social skills, but she also despises others for not suffering as she does. Um, her motivation is that she wants to be recognized as a great sculptor by her peers.
0: Ah, feeling spurned because no yeah. one has recognized her. Mm-hmm.
1: And then her background, uh, Ursula has wallowed in mediocrity her whole life and has never made an impression on anyone. She hoped that one day her sculptures would be her voice, but even they are ordinary and dull compared to what others produce. Desperately tired of being common, Ursula sought out and employed the use of magical clay said to bring an artist's vision to life. The recent reports of creatures made of clay attacking people must be mere coincidence. So her, her uh, kind of statement that they put with us is, you really don't like this piece? I guess I could improve upon it. Or maybe you were just blind. What? Oh, I said that your knowledge of art is very fine. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> kind of uh, passive a little bit there, but um, angry also. So yeah, uh, as you're hearing that, this this kind of info about Ursula Batall, um, kind of what came to mind there, Matthew?
0: okay so last week you said uh, i think we had the evil alchemist right yeah you said oh he reminds me of the guy from office space the dude who's like that that's my stapler and you know uh surprisingly that's the kind of person i think of with this so what's hard about this character uh is it's one of those um she's not pretty she's not ugly she's just kind of really ordinary well that's hard to do Uh, so many times as i'm making a character what makes them memorable is that they're extravagant in some sense whether they talk like this and so people remember or it's some lady who you know and like in this one like i wouldn't do any of those voices because that's too much her her whole thing was her whole life she's never made an impression on anyone
1: (laughs) right yeah so
0: you got to play a character like that so when i'm doing someone like this it comes down to um not so much the voice and the extravagance as it comes to the um uh, the little things they do with their hands. So they, they talk yeah. about playing with clay. I would actually bring in some Play-Doh or, uh, what's that stuff you would press in the newspaper and peel it up? Uh, silly putty. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would probably bring in like a little thing of silly putty and just sit there every time I'm her and just be squishing it around in my hands and yeah, right. talking. Uh, and then I would probably, you know, like be this mannerism of kind of constantly pushing my hair behind my ear you know, trying to get into a female state of mind here Uh, and uh, looking down a lot. But at the same time, she has this kind of feeling like upset at people because she's never been recognized. And I love this kind of mumbling. And then when people kind of ask her what she said, she changes it to something, you know? Right. Uh, So there's these, uh, uh, these monsters that are around, right? And, you know, so maybe she's like, oh yeah, I don't know. I've seen all these monsters have kind of made me think making these sculptures but you know i know they don't meet up your expectations i mean i know that can be a great kind of adventures vexations you know yeah (laughs) something where she always has that like line that kind of rhymes with what she really feels and so i would probably like try and make a few of those before i go into the into the session so maybe four four sets of those something that i would have her say really quiet and then like immediately say louder this thing that seems more positive i think that would begin to get her character across but um yeah i don't know those are some of the things that i would think about uh again it's so hard for me because my natural tendency is to make all of these characters a little bit over the top and so Mm -hmm. to, to have a character that's very gray very not noticeable Mm -hmm. not extraordinary uh, for me has to go into mannerisms but i don't know what what were you thinking
1: yeah uh that those kind of things you know very um body posture at the table you know i think that's uh um again this is any (laughs) any character we're playing whether it's as a dm or gm uh Run an NPC, or you know, even the difference in um, uh, like the car- the PCs that we play. If we're on the player side of the table, um, I think it's really important. Um, I maybe I'm getting a little bit into my talk next week, but um, like currently where I'm at in Matthew's campaign is I have a character who actually is four different characters depending on what what I roll on a dice. When i wake up in the morning you know kind of thing and um it's been super fun sometimes taxing if we have a lot of sleeps <laughs> because it's like oh i'm like who am i today you know kind of thing which actually i think plays into that but posture even as a player i i have to like pay attention to that in that realm of like okay am i uh am i the the little halfling or am i the the kind of like uh very interior oriented, uh, sorcerer, or mm-hmm. am I the more like bold gunslinger, you know, kind of thing like, and those, those play, and we we're doing that with the GM role, you know, in, in anybody we're, we're running. So yeah, I hear, I hear that for sure. What you're saying, as far as mannerisms and body posture, um, I do think like the kind of explosion of anger is like a, that would be a thing that would go from like you know zero to right. 60 for her like oh like something's something's going on on the inside here that we're not seeing um
0: and that can be the place where the extravagance comes out yeah be this person who's always like this but then they turn around and they're like but he's so-and-so and then, yeah. and right. then realizes i've just exposed myself and
1: then yeah. back into the shell yeah. yeah yeah um another thing like and i this could like lead them a, maybe it'd be a red herring in some ways but i almost wonder pushing into that like nobody what was the exact word um you know utterly ordinary um she uh I lost it here that
0: first line uh, in the background never made an impression on anyone
1: never made an impression on anyone um of almost saying you know if you know maybe they've for whatever reason they've went in to maybe question her like there's these clay creatures you do you work with clay what, what do you know about this kind of thing? And, um, even if the the party is leaving where she's at as a GM, kind of even saying you, you realize you just had a conversation, but even that conversation is somewhat even wiped from your brain as you leave this place, which could lead them to think, is there something magical going on where, you know, like, but it's I think that would definitely
0: like, <laughs> make them think something more important <laughs> you know, is happening. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and, and maybe that's, you know, I, it, again, we talked about like, this doesn't have to turn into an encounter, but, um, that may be a deeper thing, even with her of, of like, what if the reason that she is so mediocre is because someone cursed her a long time ago to be invisible to everyone, you know, kind of like, it, it could be just natural. But what if there's something even deeper there and if they are like, oh, okay, cool. And they just move on. Well, that hook didn't land, but maybe it goes somewhere. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking aloud here as I go through that. But uh, I, I do think something of even like, you don't even remember what like color her hair was as you leave this place because she's so just not making an impression on you yeah so um i I do think saying that but but the mannerisms thing for sure um as far as like you know looking at this if you were gonna make use of a character like this what would be kind of the reasoning would it be just kind of a random like oh we're gonna put this person in this place or do you feel like you would have some kind of lead-in to using someone like ursula
0: it's it's tougher uh because uh this one's so hard not to like want to hook into that she's making clay things and clay things are attacking which then becomes like a a hook for an encounter right. uh as yeah. well as an npc so not always when you need an npc do you need them hooking to a new encounter right. sometimes <laughs> in the middle of an encounter uh this one i think is one that takes a little more and, and maybe this is just for me takes a little more um expertise it's almost easier to be like the really stereotypical over-the-top things. It's a little harder to be like this kind of uh, understated person without just seeming like you're not really invested in the character. Right. Uh, so that'll take a little more work for you, um, uh, especially if you're not like a really loud. So for me, someone who is so like gregarious with my gestures and my voice, if I suddenly get real small, my my players are going to notice that and that's going to stick out to them. But if you're already kind of like a, you you have a harder time like being that like actor, uh, they may not even notice that you're doing mannerisms. <laughs> if you're trying to be like really understated, you may just feel like yourself. Um, and so uh, that's something to think about. But if I had to use uh, someone like this in a campaign, I think this would be uh, just. It, it would be hard for me to use someone like this without it becoming so noticeable that it becomes a hook. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know that this would be the kind of person I'd be like. Oh, I need a quick person. I'm just gonna grab this. The bitter artist. The bitter sculptor. Unless. Uh, I didn't put the part in about like there's clay monsters attacking. Maybe it's like I use her and she's kind of constantly pleading for or kind of begging for compliments and can't seem to get them. And uh, that's just the character that uh, they encounter uh, when they come to this town. And uh, again, I would have to leave out the part about there being clay monsters if, in fact, I didn't want them to go on that side
1: (laughs) excursion. Yeah. Yeah yeah I again I'm leaning into the encounter but I like the idea of the clay monsters being the initial reason you know it's like oh there's these clay monsters well there's a clay artist in town I you know I'm maybe I'm putting things That's into their heads why but they would visit her in the first they place. would even visit her in the first place and um you know it it definitely it, it's giving you the option in that prompt but it's not saying for sure she's the problem, you know, it could, it really could be coincidence. She has this magic play. I almost think of like magic beans, you know, she's been duped to, to uh, think like, Oh yeah, this is going to do something for me. But really there's this other thing happening over here. The reason that these creatures are coming, she may be a patsy. She may be just have been duped to maybe wrong, uh, wrong place, wrong time, you know, or maybe she, she is that but again this isn't necessarily about encounters but it it really is hard to not go there (laughs) so
0: yeah um, and if you're making her the patsy maybe there is another person that you want them to kind of focus on and it could be that idea that like someone came along and uh, gave her this claim said listen you use this you'll go far don't worry Mm things will pick up and she's like fighting this inner war of wanting acknowledgement and realizing that this has been the most anybody's wanted to talk to her but at the same time they destroyed part of her family's business or something (laughs) these clay monsters and so she really wants the accolades but at the same time realizes it's not right and then they come to find out that this was given to him by x and he is the person that you're going to go after Mm
1: -hmm. yeah for sure this is random but and i can't remember the exact like motivations but i'm thinking like uh like a little shop of horrors situation could happen with this too, you know, of like, and I have no idea. I can't remember why the plant becomes a, a thing in that show or the movie or the, you know, the play or anything, but you know how it's like, it grows and grows and it gets out of hand. And then it's like, Oh no, these things, like this plant is more powerful than I am. And I, how do I get away, you know, out of this thing Right. Or they're like clay creatures. It's like, uh, you know i formed these things but I've like now control. they're yeah they have their own uh they have their own agenda and and i can't you know get away from that so uh, again that's yeah maybe broadening it out too much but yeah i think sh- she could be interesting but i do going back to that it's all about like presentation at the table whereas like sometimes the voicings or just like the intensity can get across things this one's more understated and uh, a little more um specific i guess so yeah
0: so that's an npc that maybe yeah. you guys would want to use in your campaign maybe that speaks to you uh hopefully hey we're going to uh, wrap up here in a little bit but before we do every week we talk to you guys that we have a place for you to leave questions or comments about things you would love us to talk about or questions you have it's called the haversack and you can go to rise of the GM at gmail.com and leave us something for that. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at rise of the GM podcast or at rise of the GM on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call that now, uh, easy ways to find us and leave feedback. And we actually have had someone ask or leave a comment for us or ask a question or something, Adam, what was that this week?
1: Yeah. Um, so this came through our uh, Gmail. Um, again, you can ask questions through that way. Um, and we'd love to, to, to answer them if we can, um, or look up things if we need to. Um, but this is from, uh, Wadaya hotel 98. Um, so whatever yeah. <laughs> dear Matthew and Adam, I enjoyed the first episode and appreciated you sharing your GM philosophies as well as more great resources for aspiring GMs like myself. Although I did have a question for both of you. All
0: right, so let's this hear is the,
1: This is the first question. How do you feel about fudging roles as a GM? I've known some GMs that abide by the rules of cool and others that say that the die should always decide. Where do both of you fall? I know I always feel a little hesitant to inflict too much pain on my players, but I also know that stakes are what makes a good story what do you think is too little or too much when it comes to this concept all right do you want to start with that one fudging dice um I feel like I've been all over with that um I definitely I would say the majority of my GM career maybe maybe half of my GM career now but um uh really was concerned about not killing people like that was like a massive concern every time was like i don't want to kill people i don't want to like make them lose their characters again you know maybe that comes from history that i'm going to talk about next week but um like that kind of thing um being worried about that so we used i would use a gm screen a lot you know during that um time and um I've fudged roles I you know where it's like man like somehow I've crit this person like six times tonight how is this happening like I'm gonna just not that's a miss, you know kind of thing I I've done that before um more early on though but I will say like lately um because we have online played so much more um you know it was always at the table we've online played and there are ways to make GM roles but um and sometimes somehow I get clicked on my GM you know like hide from everybody else rolls and I can't get away from it (laughs) it's like why is this still rolling just to me um but uh uh I feel like that has opened up some things as far as I don't really fudge rolls um I haven't fudged rolls in a long time um because Uh, more it's just like shown to everybody you know kind of thing Uh, more so than even like a philosophy thought Um, so I I don't know I'm kind of back and forth like uh, for some reason 5e for me I'm less worried about doing like hard hits on people I think it may be the death saving throws give some availability to for there to be like cool moments of like bringing people back up I don't know but uh um yeah I tend to not fudge dice but if there was like a really good reason and that reason I think for me would be just dice or like either not doing anything for me like I'm rolling like ones and twos all night long on a d20 I may be willing to be like, no, that one hits, <laughs> you know, just like something to happen. Or, or if it's like, man, I'm just like, my dice are hot tonight and I'm going to kill these people. But I'd say for the most part, I'm like, I'm just going to let the dice roll where they are. So what, what about you?
0: So when I would first question, should I fudge? Here's the reasons, the the, the two reasons. One, you mentioned uh, I end up rolling like six criticals in a roll against them. And I'm like, man, I'm just, uh, and I, I would question that. The other one would be, is if I'm rolling all ones or like super low and I'm missing all the time uh, and I'm afraid, okay, they're going to kill these guys really fast. And then that's not very exciting. I actually choose to not fudge rolls, um, but instead to tell the story epically. Okay. Right. So this goes back to kind of my my GM-ness is storytelling. And so uh, rolling out in the open, and this is what you do for us. You're, a lot of times you're like, I want you to see, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything here. Uh, they've got to have this and then roll it. And everybody sees it once if yeah. it came over that. And that, they know that that's the dice. And sometimes the dice roll hot. The thing there is as the GM, you've got to make them feel like this thing got so lucky or, you know, had so much power that it was just like crazy and yeah. uh you got to tell their death well if they die. yeah 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 right right <laughs> uh yeah. make that a sad moment make it like a moment of unbelievable how did this happen uh and then you also have to have like what's going to happen next yeah. kind of lined up right. and that's a hard part you don't want to kill somebody and then just everybody be sitting there stunned and <laughs> everybody feel like quitting the game that's yeah. not what you want you got to somehow guide that story and so, uh, I I actually killed Adam's character in our in my current campaign, um, but uh, w- luckily it was like at the high point end of a night I think, and then I got with Adam and I said, "All right, um, you can just roll up a new character." But I see I, we talked together, and I don't remember who came up with the idea, but he had had this, <laughs> so he went into a temple of tears, and there was a this, uh, everlasting fire that was trapped in his temple, um, that couldn't die, but also could not feel anything, um, because it was trapped in this. And so it wanted to make a bargain with somebody and it made a bargain with his character that it would go into them. Um, but then the problem would be, uh, that sometimes they, it's the only way this flame could experience feeling anything anymore because it no longer was embodied. Uh, and it wanted that. Uh, and so, uh, it kind of constantly was urging him a 20% uh, role on D100, uh, that it would encourage him to do something foolish just so it could feel something and it could experience that. Um, And at the same time, you know, it had penalties on it. So he was sterilized, no longer could have kids. (laughs) He had this 20% fail chance to actually do something he wouldn't have normally done, all that. Uh, And this thing had been around for a while And every time it would be in a person that died, uh, it would end up back at this Temple of Tears until another person came along and made this agreement to accept it into their body. Now, it gave him benefits, too. He was like immune to fire, and uh, I forget what all it gave him. gave him some stuff, which is why he made the the bargain in the first place. Uh, But because of that, and because it had had several lives in it, um, we could work out a way where, as his character died, the people who had been in this flame then began to surface uh, in its place. And they don't know exactly what changed so that it didn't go back to the Temple of Tears, but that all was woven into my story some and gave gave him a chance to be something that was cool now beyond yeah. this death. Uh, and so, you know, there had to be some work put in as a GM to make that so that it wasn't just like, OK, your character is dead. Well, roll up another seventh level character or whatever level we were at yeah. at the time and just go from there. Which is not as fun, but sometimes people are so discouraged, they're already like thinking, I know, I already have a cleric rolled up. And, you know. And you're like, you don't want that to be the case. Uh, the other side of that is if I'm rolling completely horrible and I feel like it's not going to be a challenge to my people, you know, they're in there and they're just beating the socks off of this, like ancient red dragon, because he's rolling all ones, you know, and it's like, that's not right. Uh, I, as a GM, feel absolutely no um, nothing bad in me about the fact that I just, on the spot, give this dragon way more health. <laughs> <laughs> They're like killing it. Normally, they would have killed it by now. Um, but I decide he has more health than that. And yeah. uh, he's going to stick around longer to give myself some time to get some dangerous rolls in there. Um, so I would rather fudge my you know the the health of this monster uh right. the the way that it lives beyond something like that then the fudge the rolls um i think it's it's exciting for me to roll out there and for them to see uh oh it's a one he missed and then to tell that story well too this right. thing went to do something amazingly bad to you and it would have it would have hurt mm-hmm. but and then my creative mind has to come up with what happened for that but but this and he missed and ended up falling into the fire himself and like you know uh it lost one of his limbs and now he's flying around with three limbs and squirting blood and you know and okay that begins to become a memorable moment and then you know oh, dang he rolled another one yeah. as he's flying his left wing catches on a stalactite and rips and now he is no longer able to fly but he's still trying to half flutter around right. and there's still blood squirting out here but surprisingly he's not dead and those terrifying claws come at you again and you know again it's got to be the story Uh, so uh, I would say um, fudging rolls what the worst thing is if a if a character begins to suspect that you're rolling behind the screen and either hitting them when you shouldn't or not like really uh, taking you know like when you would roll a one uh fudging like if they get the sense that you're fudging they feel like nothing matters right and so that's why I think rolling it out in front uh is better uh for everybody but then you got to be a good storyteller as a gm so that's the way i would lean not everybody you know and it that's not the only way sometimes uh somebody could make a great argument for you know what i'm going to roll behind the screen and i still make it sound exciting and i don't let them know that i fudge that role um and go from there Uh, that's where you as a gm get to decide Uh, but me I'm for the storytelling of the horrendously bad <laughs> and the horrendously bad. And that kind of sounds weird, but like when it's bad for the PCs or when it's bad for my that monster, for yeah. I think sometimes the most memorable things happen when there's crits in one way or the other crit fail or crit succeed, uh, amazing things can happen. And when a character dies, you just gotta make it worth it. You just yeah. gotta make it like a uh, memorable and important and uh, solemn and then you got to think of a creative way to continue because that player is not going to quit playing for the rest of the session you want that player in there yeah. they may have to come up with a new character how are you going to do that and that can be as much fun sometimes as if they would have like gotten the fudge win maybe that's not even very memorable for them
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, right yeah i um I think to like wrap up my my thought with that uh i'm in the same more and more in that same camp um and the more important the role definitely the less likely i am to fudge it right you know it's like okay this is your last death saving throw and if i like if i be last death saving throw there's no way i'm gonna roll that behind the screen because no matter what happens it's like oh you killed me or you saved me it was like it's like you said things don't feel as worth it even if you didn't fudge it um the only argument i think like and this isn't really about fudging anymore this is about like the behind the screen or secret rolling um maybe not only argument but an argument that comes to mind for me is uh is that some sometimes people have a tendency to metagame and you know it's like if i roll everything behind the screen you don't know that this ogre has a plus eight to hit you know so you can't start saying well okay i'm gonna uh, use this ability that's gonna bring me up so that i'm never gonna you know like you can make that decision but but we we start sometimes crunching numbers or things and it's like not as fluid but i think the fix of that is for people to do the best they can to not meta <laughs> game in the middle of it. You know, I
0: actually so. absolutely love that line of reasoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want people to like zero in right away on what number is it? What are, right. what are they hitting at? Yeah. What do they have to get? Because that'll influence like if they decide to go after, if they know that person has to get a 17 or higher to even hit them, they become very reckless <laughs> yeah. sometimes, yeah. or they do yeah. things they wouldn't normally do if right. they don't know. Uh, so I will, you know roll behind something or screen until it's like okay this is like a big deal guys i'm rolling this in front of you so everybody right. knows you know yeah. boom uh, yeah. you know especially once they've figured it out because players do yeah like, okay <laughs> so looks like he has to get at least a 12 to hit me you know <laughs> I, try, I try not to say those but they'll yeah. figure that out if you're yep. not careful the other sure. thing i would add to this conversation is this as a gm put some forethought into death so when I rolled when I played when I GM'd I'll get it right here in a minute when I, when I ran the campaign Oracle of Order I started off I didn't know how good of a GM I would be <laughs> I didn't want to kill everybody with the bush in the first episode so uh, very very first thing that happened was they got a little box with I think there were five players with five philosopher stones in it one of the one of the things a philosopher stone can do is resurrect right mm-hmm. I think that was I, yep. I kind of looked into it uh, because I wanted each of them to have like one one get out of jail free card I made a stupid mistake I threw Adam once you know he stepped in in that campaign he had this vorpal sword and he threw it but he threw it at a guy that had this uh, magic on him that whatever you did to him would do the same damage to you so he actually <laughs> rolled a crit f- succeed a 20 throwing this verbal sword, cut the guy's head off, and then immediately his head pops off and he falls down dead. Uh, that's just the way it was. It was actually a really fun moment. But here he was dead. The nice thing was there was a philosopher's stone that could be bring him back to life. Um, now, the thing is, there's not unlimited philosopher's stones, so they have to make decisions. And actually, Adam ended up using two of those philosopher's stones, and somebody else didn't get one because he was so reckless. Uh, but like a little forethought of okay, is there like a, oh man, things got way worse than we expected. Here's our one get out of jail free card, but we don't want to spend it all the time because we're not going to get more. And you know that, you know, so that's, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be a philosopher's stone, but you may you may build in something that, um, you know, they have a, a patron who is a powerful wizard who has promised them one true resurrection spell. And that's, you know, all they're going to get. I don't know. I don't know. What, what what you could do to build it into the story. but sometimes right. that can be enough that if things go crazy wrong, you gotta you gotta weigh out.
1: That's good. That's good. Um, so his second uh, the second uh, question, just to jump into that email again, I think this can be a little bit briefer here, but uh, additionally, do you have any ideas for what you might want to call your listeners? Or do you know whether you want to do so at all? Some communities really get into naming conventions like that. Here are my list of ridiculous fan names.
0: Okay, let's hear (laughs) them.
1: Got a a handful of them here. The Risers, Ascending ascending GMs, Mm -hmm. GM Nation, Dice Goblins, GM Squad, Arisen GMs. Sincerely, what a... Ya yeah, hotel ninety eight. probably saying that completely wrong. say that I, I apologize <laughs> for what a ya yeah, hotel what a ya yeah, hotel ninety eight. So sorry about that. Um so the risers ascending GMs, GM Nation, Dice Goblins, GM Squad, Arisen GMs. I have not thought at all about that idea, I must say. Um
0: I hadn't either, but yeah. I, I think I like ascending GMs.
1: ascending GMs.
0: So if I'd say, Hey, ascending GMs, be sure and submit your questions and comments if you guys are all rising as GMs. Yeah. You're getting better yeah. and stronger yeah. and coming more to your power. I like yeah. that one. What was it? What were the other ones, uh, ascending GMs and what else?
1: The risers GM uh, nation,
0: GM nation. Maybe not
1: bad uh, dice goblins <laughs> GM squad.
0: That one almost feels like disrespectful. All right, now you dice goblins, get your stuff in here. <laughs> feels more like players to me, dice yeah, goblins yeah, yeah, yeah. than GMs.
1: It's, it's, yeah. Maybe we should start calling our table that um, <laughs> G- GM squad and arisen GMs. Yeah, I I think out of those for me, ascending GMs probably catches it. But I'm not sure if I'm ready to. Personally, commit to any of that. <laughs> We're not
0: going to christen you guys all ascending GMs yet. We may use that terminology. I may yeah. use it today, uh, but we may see what organically uh, begins to come out of our mouths when we talk hey. about our listeners.
1: Uh, uh, as we Be go. sure to f- uh, follow us on social media, and there'll be a poll up this week there asking go. these very things. I think it'd be good. So, yeah.
0: so, all of you get a chance to kind of weigh in on what you think. It would be good to call you guys. Yeah. So, all right. Hey, I think that's going to do it for us today. Be sure to get your questions in, all you ascending GMs, to one of those places where you can get in touch with us. Rise of the GM. Listen to it. Search for it. Join us next week. We'll talk about Adam.
1: Have a good one.